Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco and I ponder the question, how do you solve a problem like Al Franken? Then Francesca Fiorentini joins Kieran Deal and Dana Schwartz in studio to talk about the four Congresswoman squad and why women teaming up is so scary to some people. We've also got a politics-free treat for all of you this week. One of my favorite writers, Taffy Brodesser-Ackner, stops by to talk about her new book, Fleischman is in Trouble. And, as always, our hills. Before we get to the show, a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. We're also going to be bringing back Dude You Asked for a weekly bonus video. Please send us any and all of your questions, whether it be about the 2020 race, Ivanka shenanigans, our weekly skincare routine, although don't send us questions about our skincare routine. Send your listener questions to hysteria at crooked.com or Insta or Twitter, whatever. There's a million ways to reach us. Another exciting thing, there's another muscle tank to be had. This one features the four Democratic Congresswomen known as the Squad, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Is a muscle tank available at store.crooked.com. Proceeds go to She the People. Also, Mitch McConnell sucks. This isn't news, but the good news is that he's up for re-election in 2020, and now is our chance to get Mitch or die trying. Donate now and help us flip 10 Senate seats blue and protect one to take back the majority and send Mitch back to Kentucky for good. You can find more info at votesaveamerica.com slash getmitch. I want to give a shout out this week to a special group of listeners. Um, I want to give a shout out to listeners in Utah and Colorado. I just got back from being on tour with Pod Save America. We did shows in Salt Lake City and Denver. And you people are awesome. I had a lot of people come up and say hi after the shows. And I'm just so impressed with and happy that you guys are out there and enjoying what we're putting out into the world. All right, let's get to the show. Happy Mueller's Day. Oh, happy Mueller's Day. I was watching the hearing this morning and I was thinking about, you know, like, you know, the report says that you can't charge a sitting, you can't indict a sitting president, basically. Or the, the, the report references a memo that says you can't indict a sitting president. And I was just thinking, so when we elect a president, do we elect like a one man purge? Like it's four, <laughs> it's like four years and you can just do whatever the fuck you want and you can't go to jail. Like, honestly, someone should write a dystopian horror movie about somebody who exploits this fully, becomes just like a total monster, does like physical crimes and terrorism. And then before they leave office, just kills themselves. Well, I mean, Aaron, he's still got like a year and a half left. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, you know what today reminded me of watching this whole Mueller situation is um, one of my favorite things that Dan Pfeiffer has pointed out about my personality over our many years of friendship, which is that I am, it is both charming and frustrating that I continue to be consistently disappointed by people whose only function in my life is to disappoint me. And so <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm like, the Republicans are being so unfair. And it's like, I'm getting all worked up. My stomach was upset. And I was like, well, what did I really think old Louis Gohmert was going to do? Yeah. Right. Right. Imagine, I'm, but would you be commensurately joyful if Louis Gohmert had come out and been like, I've had a change of heart? I mean, maybe, but also I wish that, you know, like one of the things that I was watching, I just, 
like when the Kavanaugh hearings happened and Maisie Hirona was just like front and center and just like pivoting, pivoting, pivoting. It's like he said something, she had a follow up. And I feel like here everyone just came with their prepared statements and no one was like pivoting or following up on like good points. And it just, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Mueller's a bit of a, uh, he's a bit of a yes or no guy. Which we knew. Yeah. So, I mean, they couldn't really prepare for, you know, it wasn't an essay exam. It was a yes or no. And you know, it was interesting. One point that I felt is was worth reiterating. So they keep sort of reading from his report, but like kind of asking him if he wants to read from it. And he's like, no, you read from it. And at first I was like, what's the matter? Like, can he not read? And then I read on NBC news that that was a specific point of his testimony. He said he would not read from his, from his report. And so I thought it was a little disingenuous that no one sort of flagged that up front. Yeah, that is, it's a little weird. Also, like, explaining this moment in time to anybody who hasn't been following along for the last four years would just be exhausting. It would take a week. Be like, it would take a week. Okay, this is what's happening. Speaking of things that take a long time to explain, uh, there's an article in this week's issue of The New Yorker written by Jane Mayer, a very reputable, respected journalist who's covered all kinds of things, she's covered the role of money in politics. Um, she's a great, great reporter. The Jane Mayer piece takes a deep dive into accusations uh, against Al Franken that led to his resignation. It mainly focuses on the first accusation from Leanne Tweeden, a conservative radio host that alleges that he forced his tongue down her throat and groped her during a USO show in 2006. Over the course of the piece, Mayer uncovers a lot of inconsistencies with Tweeden's story, and it seems that the story is actually the story of the sketch that she was in. Anyway, toward the end of the piece, um, there's a person quoted who uses the word flimsy to describe the allegations of harassment against Franken. Alyssa, having read this and thought about it, do you find the allegations flimsy now? I, I don't think they're flimsy. I think that we'd know a lot more if when this all happened um, back in December of 2017, if Franken had sort of stood up and stopped the madness and just like demanded an ethics hearing and inquiry and demanded it be done quickly. And, you know, I just think that we would have known more of the facts because even if Tweedens have holes in them, there were seven other women. And I think any sex crimes prosecutor would tell you that most women don't make that shit up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I think, an interesting moment of stepping back and saying, okay, well, what is something that is worth a man losing his job over and what is not? And I don't know if we're going to agree with about this or not, uh, but during the whole Franken kind of blow up, I remember thinking, well, he has to resign. Like, this is the moment that we're in. He has to resign. Right. The Weinstein thing had st was still unraveling. And it was just like, we can't have somebody who's a Democrat who's doing these things. But now, I guess, with the, with the benefit of hindsight and after reading this piece, I think that maybe we should have taken a moment to slow down and say, like, look, we need to gather more facts. And we need to assess whether or not it's OK that we have somebody in our ranks that was accused of... Granted, it was I hate I hate to assign like value to this, but granted, it was like compared to stuff that other people have done mild. We have to assess whether or not somebody who does good in their job, but has done mildly harassy and gropey things over the course of several years deserves to have that job. So 
I don't disagree with anything you said, actually. Um, for me, though, the one thing that we have to remember, and this is neither right nor wrong, it is just where we were, is that as this was unfolding, as these accusations were happening, there was a runoff for a U.S. Senate race in Alabama, where the Democrat was running against the Republican, Roy Moore, who had been accused of essentially statutory rape back when he was in his early 30s, I think it was, mm -hmm. dating women who were younger than 18. And Democrats had sort of hung their hat on this being nearly the, the sole disqualifier for him, right? Like, I think he said some other random racist shit, but, you know, whatever. Um, he was like two so races to be a judge in Alabama. Right. That's what it was. That's what it was. But... But the drumbeat on this guy was that he was a perp, he was a pedophile, like he was a statutory rapist. And and so for Democrats to say that and then have these accusations against Franken, which are much more recent, some occurred, some of the alleged uh, accusations happened since becoming a United States senator, Um you know, and I also think that the the one thing that this article sort of points out is that, you know, Senator Gillibrand was one of the first people to come out and say that he should step down. But she's one person who wasn't even on the ethics committee um, who said, as someone who had championed women, who um, whose first inclination is always to believe um, you know, survivors that, you know, I, I don't think you can blame it on her either. He made the decision to step down. And I, this is, it's just like, it's all so complicated because the other thing too, is like public service isn't a right. It's a privilege. And we can't forget that like, just because Donald Trump's our president and gets away with all sorts of shit that now in the post me too era, that things, things need to be investigated. So if I were him, if I were him, I would have just been like, everybody stop, drop and roll come out real fast and been like, just investigate me, just do it mm -hmm. two weeks, do it right now. Yeah. Because the problem was, is that he didn't, it, it was all drip, drip, dripping in the kind of way where if you think you just are quiet, maybe it'll go away. But in the vacuum, reporters just continue to hound his colleagues saying, what do you think? What do you think? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was, I think it was a real Real shit soup. Yeah, it's it's complicated also because if you, you know, in the mayor piece, it spells out which each of the accusations were. And a lot of them were like, it was a photo op and he put his hand on my butt. Right. And and it's not I don't want to minimize the fact that that can be humiliating and that's awful and nobody should be doing that. But I'm also like if somebody puts a hand on like how many butts can someone put a hand on? I, I'm doing math in my head that is like, <laughs> how can I uh, the loss of Al Franken in the Senate is massive. Like it, the, and another thing that that kind of struck me as a little bit awful um, was that Democrats, especially Chuck Schumer, who finally, you know, it, it turns out uh, in the Jane Mayer article right. that he was actually the main catalyst of uh, Franken yep. being forced to resign. Um, Democrats pushed for Franken to resign because there is a Democratic governor of the state of Minnesota, which meant that his replacement would probably be a Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, if Franken had been a senator in a state with a Republican governor, I am willing to bet you my entire life's earning potential that that the the Democrats would not have angled for him to step down, and and that's cynical of me, but for I sure. I no, really I mean, don't think that they would have. I mean, it's reasonable, <laughs> you yeah. know. I mean, here's the thing: what happened 
ultimately, in some ways, to Al Franken's detriment, was the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. right? This is months after Harvey, right? And nobody knew how, like, I'm I'm not excusing anybody in this, but I think that people didn't know what the fuck to do. You know, like this, like Al Franken, I think, was the first example of an accusation that was an accusation. He made women feel uncomfortable, but it, it wasn't like Harvey level mm-hmm. by right. any stretch. And I think people, you know, it's like, well, what the fuck do we do? Right. You know, like obviously he did something, um, though it's not what Harvey did. But I think that, you know, now we're comfortable saying that there are shades of gray, that there are, you know, that, that, that maybe putting your hand on someone's tush, you know, is, a, is not, is, is on a scale, right? It's not, it's not, you know, necessarily a fireable offense. Right. But, but I don't think back then anybody felt that way, especially in the, you know, fervor of, of everything that was happening down in Alabama. I think it just made everything harder. Yeah. One other difficult thing to read in the mayor piece was about how Tweeden, who is a conservative, and it doesn't really matter what your political ideology is. If if somebody victimizes you, you are a victim. It doesn't matter. Um, right. But in the way that it was told in the mayor piece, it sounded a lot like the story Tweeden was something Tweeden didn't like Franken for both political and personal reasons. And over yeah. the years kind of told the story to a bunch of people. And when she told the story to one of her friends, one of her friends was like, well, that was in the skit. So I don't know why you're upset about it. Tweeden was also really good friends with Sean Hannity. Hannity really reveled in um, Franken's downfall um, while mm-hmm. at the same time praising uh, Roger Ailes as this who was who's an extremely creepy, much creepier than Al Franken ever was accused of being grabby hands, sexual harasser who built an entire world of sexual harassment for him to sexually harass inside. Um, so it just the, the weaponization of the Me Too movement was something that I was always worried would happen. And now it mm-hmm. seems in retrospect that this felt like at least the first accusation was a weaponization of people's desire for sexual harassment to no longer be a problem that women face. Yeah. Which sucks. It does. I mean, the whole thing's just, you know, it's like fucked seven different ways to Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think we've learned anything from this? Uh, What have we learned? Well, you know, here's the thing. I think that we have learned a lot since this. You, you know what I mean? Like, like the article, I don't think that the article made me feel any differently than I felt before the article, which was, it was, you know, he, he, this all happened at a very bad time where I'm not sure that any other outcome short of an accelerated ethics hearing could have proved you know, a different result. But I think in the, you know, almost year and a half since this happened, you know, there's like no other way to put it, but like you sort of, you hear something and you stop, drop and roll, you know, that there is a due process element to, um, all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That let's just hope that there's enough 
enough due process. I, and I hate the the phrase due process is so I often know. used by people who just like don't understand what it means. But I hope that there is a process to make sure that people who are victims of sexual harassment or sexual assault are heard and have their stories fully validated. Um, yes. And people who are not guilty of sexual assault and harassment and are accused are able to have there be a process where it can be proven that they w- were not perpetrators. I hope. I pray. I hope. This was stressful. I know. It was so stressful because I saw a lot of people who I really like reacting to Mayer's article on Twitter, um, just sort of like, I've lost respect for Jane Mayer. I've lo- and it's like, I haven't lost respect for Jane Mayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking for answers to a question. And I don't think there's anything wrong with telling a story that in retrospect was sort of something of a different time. But man, it was a it was a complicated issue. And um, I hope that we have learned something from it. I feel like I've learned. I hope I've learned. Well, let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, I want to pivot to another really serious topic, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the remake of the musical Cats. Hello. <laughs> Um, my first question to you is what the fuck? So fine. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite Twitter moments ever was me being like, yay, cats. And seeing your tweet that's like, what the fuck, cats? (laughs) I'm like, no, man. Like, I mean, here's the thing. Typically, I don't think remakes end up being as good as the original, right? However, Anything where Dame Judy Dench is playing old Deuteronomy, the wise cat that shepherds other cats through the heavy side layer to determine whether or not they will become jellical angel cats. I mean, I'm here for it. I want to see what Dame Judy Dench brings to the role. I want to see um, how Jennifer Hudson, you know, embodies Grizabella. And I'm sorry, but James Corden, Rebel Wilson, and Taylor Swift as cats. I mean, how can we not be curious? <laughs> Um, so the first part when you were using names from the musical, are those real names from the musical? Yeah, they're real names. Mr. Mistropheles, Old Deuteronomy, Grisabella, you name it. I could sing some of the songs if you want me to. It truly sounds like halfway between a multi-level marketing company and a death cult. That's what those things all sound like to me. And I'm, I was very scared watching it. But that being said, Alyssa, let's watch it together. We're going to watch it together and we will bring our review to the to our, our hysteria listeners and fans and then they can decide. <laughs> um, and then one more thing before we go. Do you have a toast or a roast this week? My toast is to you because it's your birthday week. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Oh, that was so easy. My roast is to me because it's my birthday week. <laughs> well then it's all about you as it should be since you are getting married oh god it's my week okay Alyssa um, it was great talking to you and kind of wading through this muck hopefully next week we have something a little bit more fun to talk about okay goodbye alright bye So we're going to take a little bit of time this week. It's the middle of summer. Things are kind of slowing down. And I wanted to resurrect something that was apolitical, something that we had in early iterations of this podcast, but we've kind of abandoned in favor of constant rage. But let's bring it back. Let's bring it back during these long, warm days of summer. It's called I'll Have What She's Having. And this is the segment of the show where we recommend things that we really love and we encourage you to read them as well. Here's something that I've really loved. Well, let me start by saying the other day I was I was cutting an avocado 
and I missed the avocado with a knife and I sliced myself in the side of my thumb and I felt it hit my bone. I'm fine now, but that feeling, that jolting feeling is often how I feel when I read the words of my <laughs> of my guest today. Oh, she so is nice. a writer. Her work has been in the New York Times and GQ. She has a new book out called Fleischman is in Trouble that I'm about halfway through mm-hmm. and I'm devouring. It is Taffy Brodeser Ackner. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for this introduction. Wow. Can I just leave and go <laughs> <Bye>. home? <laughs> <laughs> Just remember it. Um, well, this is something that I love about the internet is that I've known of you and I feel like we've been interacting with, with each other for years. I feel like we have private jokes. I know we do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the first time we've met in person. Right. And one thing I've always wanted to ask you when I met you in person is that your profiles, like your Goop profile, your Weight Watchers piece, um, everything I've read of yours has been so sharp and oh. perceptive that it's made me feel naked. Which is good writing, you know, it's like... Thank you. But I've also, I also know as a writer that all of my meanness comes from the fact that I hate myself a little bit. Yeah. So my question for you is, does your self-perception um, cripple you? Your ability to see things in other people, does that come from an, like a very deep introspection that you feel all the time? That's a great question. And like, it's like, I feel like it's good that you you prefaced it by saying we've known each other because that's like a third date question, I feel like. (laughs) Um, I think I have no capacity to make excuses to myself. Mm -hmm. And that might be the thing that like the thing I see in other people is all of their excuses Mm -hmm. for why they're not as happy as they could be. And I am so afraid that I'm not doing the things I want to do out of something other than a good reason, meaning I'm afraid I'm not I'm not finishing something because I'm scared or because I'm I'm worried of what people will think of me. I'm like that's the thing I always guard against. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's it. But but the thing that thing of mine leads to a lot of self loathe the thing that thing of mine comes from a lot of self loathing and thinking of myself as an excuse maker. And so there's been kind of a lot of healing Mm -hmm. to be able to air it and for people to respond to it. Am I too in the weeds? That's no, not at all. That that sounds like some very emotionally healthy jujitsu of something that could be very emotionally unhealthy if you just kind of left it unchecked. And it's interesting that you describe it that way because I don't want to give away too much to our listeners, but Fleischman is, is in trouble is... I've devoured it. I've finished The Power. Have you read The Power? Yeah. And this is the book I've read. Like I started right after The Power. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm really, I've really got like a good (laughs) string of books going right now. Um, But the main character in the book is Toby Fleischman or at the very beginning of the book, Mm -hmm. Toby Fleischman. And he seems to be a man who's made of excuses, like a sort of um, a a house of cards, but of excuses. Um, Do you draw from yourself to create him? I I don't, you know, I use, when I would interview authors or I would read Twitter, author Twitter, people would be so angry at that question. Like, like, how dare you think that anything was anything but a complete creation of my imagination. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here to say that the reason it probably upsets them so much is because it's absolutely not like every single character is you. Every single character is the side of you, unless it's a totally flat character, in which case 
I think you realize, I mean, you know, as a writer, like you can't find the person if you can't tell one intimate story on their behalf. So, yeah, I think that he is like he is a version of a thing that I dread, which is someone who congratulates themselves for being good against all the odds without realizing that nobody asked him to be good. They asked him to achieve or they asked him to to support or to come through. And what he does instead is he actually does the thing that he wants to do, which is be a doctor and which is is full of full of altruism, right? But it's also what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm also wary of that, of doing the thing that you think is good when really it's just the thing you want to do mm-hmm. as opposed to the thing you have to do. And my day, I don't know about you, but my life is made up of thing, the thing I have to do instead of the thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting um, way to put it. And I also think a lot about the... Toby being a male voice, mm-hmm. you're um, you're very forgiving at first of this character. You let us sort of live in his brain and swim in his water, and then the God, what an idiot chapter yeah. part that part starts. Um, and I was thinking about you as a writer in places that you've written. You've written for GQ, right. and um, so you've had a male audience for a lot yeah. of your career. Have you found that? Getting men to pay attention to you sometimes requires you to use a male voice or talk about male subjects. I mean, I was essentially ignored until I started writing about men. And I was essentially ignored until I was writing for men at a men's magazine. And that's when people from other places started noticing me. Mm-hmm. Even though I started I started with with two profiles of women at the New York Times Magazine, I saw this, this, I saw this like explosion after I started writing about men. And yeah, I think the, the sad answer is yes, that that's what people want. But I also found it wasn't so hard. Like the amount of times people compliment me for being able to speak in this male voice, I don't think men and women are that different. I mean, I'm still speaking essentially in my voice. I think the difference is not in the voice. It's in what it says. And the voice of women in stories is always, here are the things I overcame in order to get here, right? Like, here is how I got the thing made or how I ended up writing the thing despite all that was against me. And that's a real story because that's the question we all have for women, which is how did you, how are you able to do something with all of the, all of the, like the flies in your face and men are the same exact way, except they didn't have those obstacles. They were welcome to the table. Mm -hmm. They were asked to be at the table. And then when you ask them the same questions you ask women, they can talk to you about their souls instead of about these external forces. Mm -hmm. And so that is why it was also more fun to tell men's stories. Like when I started writing this, I looked at all of my divorced friends' phones and their apps, and it was what the women, what the 42-year-old woman in New Jersey was getting on her Bumble app was so grim. And what my friends who my male friends were getting was so amazing and fun. Who wouldn't want to occupy that space more? Mm-hmm. 
That's really interesting. And you talk about the flies and the obstacles for women. You sort of create those flies for Rachel, your uh, the estranged wife of yeah. Toby, by giving us Toby's story first and right. having him constantly explaining Rachel, even though she's this wildly successful woman who's doing every sh- everything she can to give her family the life that she wants to give them, is this like horrible wench. Right. And then you spend the rest <laughs> of the book as a reader, you have to sort of reckon with your own sexism. Was that intentional as you were writing the book? No. It was an accident. And then when I realized what was going on, I realized that's the that's what the work of the book should be. Mm-hmm. I should say like that I I did this 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 genius thing where I wrapped this riddle and but as I was writing the story of this man, I spent enough time with him to start wondering if he was telling the truth about the woman. Like to the point where I was like, this is no longer believable. Someone who just is is continuing to rant about his ex-wife. What could possibly be the reason you're like this? And I turned around and I realized that half of the things that Rachel says to him that he complains about are things I say casually in my marriage, <laughs> not during a fight. Like they are things <laughs> that I say all the time. And I think that... I think a lot, I'm a very self-conscious person, and I think a lot about the things that I say when we're in private and how they sound if someone overhears them at a restaurant or if you send the wrong, the text, oh, did I, I was texting my husband, but it got sent to my editor. Like I do, I do bad things like digitally (laughs) all the time. So it's not to say that I'm, I'm so bad. It's certainly not to say I'm so good. It's to say that when you're in a happy, happy marriage, which I hope I'm in, that that those things are like, oh, you're such a pain in the ass. And then when the marriage is over, it becomes unforgivable that you ever said anything like that. Mm -hmm. But everything you ever did was unforgivable when you when a marriage is over, Mm -hmm. when a marriage is over, the good things weren't even good because they were a lie. Mm-hmm. And that's how the I mean, you you you're engaged, mm-hmm. right? You're you're younger than I am. In about ten years, your friends will start. Your friends who got married much younger than you will start coming to you and telling you that they're getting divorced. And it won't necessarily be bad news. Like they'll be happy to have this kind of second chance of at life. They are, they like they are they are they are conscious uncoupling, mm-hmm. even if they do not, <laughs> even if they do not use the branding, but. But they will have stories about what it was like to be in their marriage, not necessarily recognizing that that their stories are not really about the person, but about marriage. Mm -hmm. I love the book. Thank you. I recommend it. I love you. Oh, Oh, stop. I love you. I know. We're in a room together. This is great. It's it's happening. It's really happening. Now it can never not happen. It can't unhappen. It can't unhappen. It's like a a dick pic. You can't unsend. (laughs) You didn't ever not send that. I didn't ever not send the dick pic. I didn't ever not have you in the room with me. Same thing. It's the same thing. (laughs) Taffy Brodesar Ackner, thank you so much for stopping by. This was great. Thank you for having me. Talk soon. Okay, welcome back. Really excited to get to the next part of the show where we talk a lot about issues that matter to us that 
aren't necessarily making headlines. First, I want to introduce the wonderful women that I have with me this week. First up, I have actor and comedian Kieran Deal. Hello. Kieran, you're dressed up today. Okay. <laughs> this is what I wore yesterday, so I just put that on when I woke up. Uh, how have you been? I'm tired. I feel tired. Have you been traveling a lot? No. You're just tired. I'm tired. Just waiting to be summoned. Coming. You know, That's it's right. It's hot out. Hot. He it's takes ho- it out of it you. It is hot. It's hot, and um, and I'm a little. I have a little little infection. Oh yeah, AIDS. Don't cough. <laughs> don't cough mm-hmm. on the mic. Just a little one. Well, do cough on the mic because that's not. I don't care. You don't care. No, I don't care about other people's health. <laughs> Next up, we have writer and host of the Noble Blood podcast, Dana Schwartz. Dana, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How have you been? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Keeping keeping it together in the heat. Keeping Every- it together in the heat. Yeah, I'm a I'm an indoor cat. I'm like an air conditioned baby. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What would happen if your air conditioning went out? Well, I, I don't have air conditioning in my apartment now. <laughs> that was like, but I, I have like three fans going. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a system where they're all like mathematically? Yes. Yeah. They're all, they're all facing different quadrants. Okay. So like I keep very cool. Okay. Yeah. That's good. As long as you're keeping cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, I want to introduce for the first time on Hysteria, host of Newsbroke on AJ Plus, Francesca Fiorentini. Welcome. Thanks, Erin. We've been trying to get you on for a little bit. I know. I should check my email. Uh, That's important. Yeah. Uh, I'm like Bill Murray, you know, just leave a voicemail. Maybe I'll check it. Maybe I won't. But it's great to be here. When you said, I'm like Bill Murray, I pictured you taking people into alleys and being like, no one will ever believe you. Also what that. does he do to them also in the that. alleys? He just he just like pulls them. It's like that's the urban legend. Is that... He has an 800 number, and I have called Francesca's 800 number, and she has gotten back to me. She gets back to me about one in in 12, one in 12 times. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep trying. The Bill Murray stuff, I feel like, you think he still does that post-Me Too era? Like, take you into an alley and then tell you no one will believe you? I feel like that's, like, too on the nose for us. (laughs) Even if it is Bill Murray, you're like, hmm. I could write about this. He's got, yeah, he's got a sadness about him that makes it a little bit more, like, forgivable. But also, in retrospect, I'd be like, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. You can't drink. But also cool. Yes. That's, <laughs> but also cool. Um, well, he's I'm, more meme than man at this point. He is. Mm-hmm. He is more meme than man. That's such a, oh, that's so tragic. I hope that never happens to me. Okay. Um, so the issue that I want to get into today is the concept of the squad because the word squad, as gross a word as it is, squad. Mm, Yuck. Squad. It's also, it's not, it sounds like squab, which is pigeon, right? Yeah. Or like squat, which yeah, is gross. There's no good connotations with the squad. I think like girl gang is maybe more what we're getting at, but the word squad has been thrown around in the news. I think squat's a positive word uh, as a Chinese American. Um, we're very good at it. And uh, <laughs> squatting is good and squatting is good. I like the word. Let's get into it. Okay. I like the word, too. I like it, too. Wow. Cheerleading yeah. squad. Mm. You know, that's part of the reason why I like it. But that's I think that's why it has a mean connotation. Oh, yeah, because of oh, the cheerleaders. Yeah. 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 The word squad is now uh, applied to a four-woman uh, group of members of the House of Representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and Ilhan Omar. These four women have sort of been villainized by the president as this group of, like, 
others and and bad and demons that uh, the president of the United States has been tweeting about them. He's been talking about them in rallies. His fans are um, advocating for um, Ilhan Omar to go back to where she came from, which was Minnesota. And she did. And she received (laughs) lots of cheers for going back to where she came from, Minnesota. Um, So my first question, Francesca, is for you. Mm. Why do you think that these four women drive conservatives, Fox News, the president, so bonkers? Um, Because they can't sleep with them, number one, and they know they never will. (laughs) Uh, No, to be honest with you, I think it's because and I'm sorry, all due respect, they won't do what Nancy Pelosi will do, um, which is sort of publicly uh, slap Trump on the on the wrist and then privately um, confer with him. And as she said in her interview with The New York Times, um, was congratulated and thanked by him privately for not going ahead with impeachment hearings. I think it's because they are fierce and they want to fight and they actually aren't only talking about identity politics, they're they're talking about how they were attacked because of their race um, and their gender, but they're moving beyond that. They're saying, in fact, come 2020, we want to talk about health care. Uh, we want to talk about uh, free college tuition for pub- in public schools. Like, it, they are actually keeping the eye on the prize, and they're showing that Democrats have bite, and they're trying to lead their party. So I think it's because they're scared. And using all this red baiting, calling them socialists, do whatever you will. Like, I think it's because they're scared and they would rather go up against the Bidens, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's. Mm -hmm. I think you are dead on. And also the thing, the idea of like, which you said is a joke, but like that they can't sleep with them, I think is actually legitimately kind of at the root of it symbolically in the sense that they, they can't dominate them on the same like playing field. They don't know how to approach that type of woman, like a woman that they can't lock into a little box as like a wife or a girlfriend, like someone totally non-sexually available to them who is coming at them with a new paradigm that's going to put them out of power. Like they're helpless against that. They don't know how to fight that. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I also think, though, it's not necessarily that all men react to them by being driven bonkers. (laughs) Uh, Representative Bill Pascrell of New Jersey Reacting to a Onion article, asked on Twitter if he would he would be allowed to join the squad. AOC said yes, and then in the ensuing days, he called for impeachment. Like he behaved in a very squad like manner. It's great, mm-hmm. he joined the squad. Get on board. He wore like hoops and a red lip, and was like, "Am I doing it?" All white, all white, all white, <laughs> suffragette style. He's like, "Let's get it." It's not Labor Day yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like it's interesting to see certain men be driven like completely bonkers by the idea of a group of women. United to achieve something that isn't sexual. Um, but it's also interesting to see men who are encouraged by that. And it's cool to see like people like Bill Pascrell being like, all right, I'm in. Um, so before we move any further, let's talk about the difference between a squad and like a group of female friends. Is there a difference, Kieran, do you think? I th- No, I think it's the same thing. Really? A hundred percent of the time, all the time. End of statement. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it can be this. Like, what's the difference between a squad and a group of friends? I don't know. Maybe how often you hang out or if you're aligned on your kind of, you know, moral and philosophical rhetoric. So you have like a goal, a common goal. A group of friends is just like their goal is good times. But a squad, it seems to me, might have something a little bit more spelled out. 
I think, but can't, but can't a group of friends have like the pointed goal of a good time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're attempting to. I think it's like a square rectangle situation where it's like all squads are female friendship, but not all female friendships are squads. Like, I think Mm, squads mm -hmm. are female friendships with, like, some branding attached. Like, it has to be self-referential. Agreed. I I think that's the first time I saw squad was a group of Gen Y-ish to millennial, like, just younger folks in my office who were, like, all fly and, like, not all, basic, mostly women and gay men and would pose together on Instagram looking fly and awesome. And then they just had like hashtag squad goals. And I immediately felt both left out and in love. <laughs> that's the, that's and I was the goal like, of squad. And old, mostly old. But what's um, their goal? What's their goal? To make other people feel left out. Just thirst trapping is their goal. So Also thirst, like collective thirst trapping. Yeah, it's a collective thirsting. Like they don't need, like do you remember when in Beyonce, in, in Everything is Love, that album, Beyonce has a whole song called Friends, and it's basically like, um, my friends are better than your friends. I'm making it sound like a kindergarten song. It essentially was. But it was like, my friends are better than your friends, and I don't need any new friends. I ain't looking for new friends. And I I felt horrible also because I was like, no matter how far I get in my career— Beyonce's never gonna be my friend because she doesn't need any new friends. Same, same. That was like might have been called squad. Like, so this is have. like they're very much like you're you're on the outside, which is why I think this Ayanna Presley thing and the you know Congresswomen is so different because they were like the squad is big. Yeah, and for the first time, inclusion. I was like, Maybe I'm part of mm. it. We can be part of it if we if we are progressive and we fight for good things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's such an empowering thing and so good politically. This idea that like. Like, I remember when Obama was running for president, like, I wanted to be part of that, like, that team. And, like, that's such an important motivating factor in getting grassroots support. It's like, we all want to be part of the squad. Right. Do you... um, Do you think Pelosi could be part of that squad? Um, Is she capable of it is the question. Yes, she can. I think she can. I think that... um, But I think she has to... I mean, this whole kerfuffle began because I think there was some tension between her and the new congresswoman. And I think one too many sort of snide remarks from Pelosi and AOC essentially was like, all right, I'm I'm just going to point out it feels a little like there's a pattern here. And it's specifically against younger women in Congress. And I feel like, listen, I'm 35. I've been there like I've done that to younger women before. And I caught myself and learned from it. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but like, I think we've all kind of been there of like, why am I reacting like that? Am I, uh, am I trying to hold on to some sort of entrenched power, whether it's Mm -hmm. over nothing or, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. And the whole idea of the squad is something that is like the collective is more powerful than, than the individual. The only way for somebody to take on entrenched power, be it, leaders in the House of Representatives, be it leaders at work, be it leaders in your industry, is to like group up and be like, okay, now we're all working to at least confront the way that it is. And it's interesting, Francesca, that you bring up coming at it from the other side, because I felt that too, where like people will come to me with this like earlier in my career before I was perfect. Um, (laughs) but, But people would come to me with suggestions. And sometimes for no reason, I would be like, well, I would in my head come up with reasons not to 
do that. You, you know, disrupting what I mean? like status quo is so hard. I mean, on like a fundamental biological level, humans don't want to do it. Like our brains are wired to like be comfortable and like hold on to a thing and keep it. And so I, I think that that plays into why the squad threatens people. Especially because, with women, yeah. though. I think it's a it's a specifically female thing where once you gain status in some sort of system of power like Pelosi has, which is amazing and in a feat in and of itself and sort of uh, is a figure into her own right, then somehow relinquishing or making space for new ideas, which, uh, I mean, we've all heard her press conferences. She's a, she has a very hard time doing, but I think like that's even in a, in a workplace or whatever, like what's the, what's like leaning in, but like allowing other younger women to like, you know, all, you know like what I mean? Like leaning in so far that you tip over and people can walk across your back like a bridge. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same but that thing. that would hurt. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. She wouldn't be able to do it in her. Well, that's it. She had to work up through a system that was, you know, systematically, you know, racist and 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 sexist and harder for women and people of color. And she, you know, worked her way up. And now to make that system come down, she has to. It's scary. I mean, there's also that generational thing, right? Like, so uh, when I think about it, it's like, you know, Hillary came up through a system, and then the entire time when she was running for president, it was like authenticity. Now we want you to be yourself. Now be yourself, but be yourself now. All we care about is being yeah. yourself. And I was like, you know, we systemically dismantled this woman's personality. Yeah, yeah. We, we broken her. Yeah, we for bro- years. We broke her again and again and again. And and now you're just like, well, just be yourself. You know that girl that you left behind so that you could do this? What girl? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, put those glasses back on, honey, you know? Yeah. Um, And Nancy came up during that time. And it just reminds me of that thing of like, there can only be one. Do you know, like, I I think that there's a differential, even as a, I don't know if you felt this, Francesca, but if you're like a minority in a room, like, I think, I think you can be in a position sometimes where there, you're the only one of a type sitting in a room. And so, and I've heard other people talk about this. It can be very threatening. Like the idea of strength in numbers or like power in numbers is, um, is antithetical to whatever a system of entrenched power is. Totally. Right? So well said. So it's kind of like, you know, like there's, for instance, there's a group of all uh, Indian women comedians who do a show and kind of like got together because they were like, oh, everyone's mistaking us for one another and understanding like the power in a collective of being a part of people who have a similar experience to you, being able to use that as a as a point of leverage and seeing the the strength in that as opposed to feeling like feeling like you have to be competitive with people who who look the same as you around you, which is oftentimes how it's built when you look at who is the CEO in a company or who gets to be in Congress. It's like this idea that you are if you just like look around a lot of times, it looks like they're you're in competition with the other people. Sure, it's like we only got room for one. That's exactly one right. Woman. Yeah. Fight amongst yourselves. That's the, exactly the right. The smaller the pie, the sharper the knife. Whoa. I said knife. Knife. <laughs> knife is knife sounds even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that to talk about like the different ways that a squad, because I don't think a squad just is a positive or negative thing. It just is. It has positive connotations and negative connotations. The negative connotation is like, you know, that you'll never be a part of my group of friends. Can't sit with us. Fuck you. You can't sit with us. But the positive one is like, oh, like what you were talking about, Karen, like numbers, people, people making space for themselves and being like, no, there's more than one of us. 
us. There's a lot of us. And I was just thinking as you were talking about a black lady sketch show, which is coming up on HBO. Uh, it's premiering like within the next week. And this isn't this isn't an ad, but there have been mm-hmm. there have been like um, tw- I've seen like the Twitter previews and stuff of it. And it is all black women. I think the writer's room is all black women. And seeing that, even though I am not ever going to be a part of that squad is like exciting to me mm-hmm. because it's disruptive and what is right now is sort of like boring and it's and entrenched. I don't know. Have you noticed, Dana, any other squads in like entertainment and pop culture that have kind of disrupted things? Oh God, disruptive. I'm not sure. I was thinking back to like, I feel like the the example of like the first squad that was the version of like the cheerleader you can't sit with us was like that taylor swift squad Mm -hmm. i feel like that was the first pop culture squad that i was aware of at least where it was like her and her famous friends all at like whatever beach parties that she was throwing and it was like very tight like they all instagrammed it together it felt very orchestrated and then the news was like but why don't you have more diversity in your friend group (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that was an interesting thing it felt like a weaponized like weaponized friendship. Yes. Like and very orchestrated. Right. A lot of NDAs involved yeah. uh, in, in that squad. Yeah. But I think that that sort of model is not Taylor Swift didn't come up with that. You know, I think we all went to school around or we all spent time around a group of women who were like aggressively exclusive. Who yeah. were your who who's like your stereotypical high school group? Like, what, what stereotypical high school group were you guys a part of? One, two, three, theater kids. <laughs> well, I'm from such a small town that everybody was part of every single group. And, like, that so means you were part of, of the popular group, Erin, yeah. and you didn't know it. She's like, everyone was in everyone, my— Everyone just every, liked me. We were yeah. all friends. Uh, I didn't do— No I, one was bullied. Right, right, right. That, that's how you know you're popular. I was what? homecoming queen. Didn't I didn't—what are you talking about? There's no cliques. Everyone just loves you. Um— yeah, I just never, I never like did anything. I never, I mean, I never went to parties. I was always like in practice or having a meeting or like working on a project or filling out college applications. Oh, geez. So I was sort of like, um, yeah. Oh, that sounds, that's cool. I wish I had more hands on parents as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. You- yeah, but I mean, there was in, even in small towns, a sort of tendency for like, there was, I think, 20 girls in my class. I'm going to say I thought the theater kids in my high school were so cool, and I was sort of on the periphery of that, and I was super intimidated and sexually attracted to all of them and jealous of of their friendship. That, I don't like, I don't mean to, like, bring up old wounds, but I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't always get that reputation, but we were, like, cool theater kids, too. Yeah, good job. Um, good yeah, job. Good job in, like, getting the— what? Viola. Yeah, it was Viola. And crap. Danny Shake. Jollis had a, a song on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where he was like, it's, I mean, this is, I'll paraphrase the way you did with your Beyonce kindergarten song uh, and just make it much worse. Um, but it was basically like the theater kids get laid because it's <laughs> on like uh, both sexes. Right. You yeah. know, it's like you're not a single sex sport. So, you know. Well, before they everyone's, come out. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's putting their flute or up each when other. They come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Karen, what, were you ever a member of like a tightly knit social squad? I don't think I was, no. Did you ever find yourself feeling frustrated by being excluded or did you just not care? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have a very good memory, so I'm not <laughs> really sure where I am right now. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, 
we had I think we definitely had I went to a public high school with maybe two or three thousand kids. There's like about 800 to a thousand kids in the class. So like there was definitely like a popular group of people. They weren't like hella mean like and I knew some of them. Um, I'm just reminded. I'm sorry. I just have these. I'm having these flashes slash visions of like <laughs> this is like growing up in South Florida was for for you know, you have like extra credit. I don't know if this is like a squad, but I really appreciated this objectification um, oh, no. was that, you know, like for extra credit. Where'd you grow up, Francesca? Um, Palo Alto, California. OK, cool. Also so what would Palo Alto? So what would you do for extra credit? Uh, I don't. I don't know what that word means. Okay, cool. You weren't trying. <laughs> and then Dana, how about you and your school? Like a little assignment, like go to a movie. Go to a movie, or like a, you know, like whatever, like is related. You re- you could go to a movie and get extra credit. Yeah, like in Spanish class, like go see like a Spanish language oh, movie dope. and write a report on it. That's cool. I want to do that now. <laughs> I re- I read extra Kurt Vonnegut books. <laughs> so there you go. That's right. Okay. So for my AP European History class, you went to a homecoming event where it was like all the hottest guys in the school. And they did striptease dances what? for money, like for like, and it was like so they it's got like bit. Magic Mike before Magic Mike. That's right. It was like Magic when Mike I saw it, I was like, I think that Channing I, came I, to your school. No, was Channing's like, from Florida. Okay, and I was like, did you have a similar experience to me? Because I like went for extra credit, and I remember sitting down. I had this like massive backpack, and then it just started happening, and I was like, what is this? Wait, what did you is have to amazing. do for extra credit? You watch the show. You just attended? You just attend. You watch the Hot Guys Strip. That was the event. You're supporting the school and you watch the Hot Guys Strip. And it was <laughs> so fun. I mean, I had a great time. And and there was a, there, I just remember there's this one, one guy brought his entire family with him and his girlfriend. And then it's like, you see someone else's mother, makes sense. mother, like yeah. lusting after the 16 year old boy. Like I could see it in her eyes. And I was like, I think I have to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you definitely, yeah. That's yeah. how you knew. That's how, that was the that's moment where I was like, knew. I don't think anyone else is seeing this. And, and it's one of those experiences I saw some of those people from high school in, when I was in D.C. at the Kennedy Center. And I was like, just checking. This happened, right? <laughs> like, I just want to make sure that this wasn't like a fever dream that I made up, uh-huh. you know, while I was on a boat or something. Right. They're like, no, no. It no, happened. I danced in that. Yeah, yeah. I put water on myself. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, you know what? You were talking yeah. about, Kieran, about feeling like an outsider. And we all at, at this table have dabbled in or dabble excessively in comedy. Do you think being just on the outside of a, of a squad? or a group helps you be funnier or do you have to be like an insider to know what's funny I'm like of I, I'll answer the question for myself and then <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm of two minds I think that um, I always felt kind of just on the outside of whatever was going on I never felt like directly excluded except for during like one rough year in eighth grade when like one girl had sleepovers with everybody except me oh. but which is something that happens everywhere, especially when there's 20 kids in your class. Um, I had, uh, but for the most part, wherever I was, I felt just kind of like just on the outside. You Did know? she make eye contact with you while she invited everyone else? <laughs> um, <laughs> we could talk more about that off mic. There are people I went to high school with who listened to this oh, show great. and I don't want to talk too much. Shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, so when I moved to New York, there was like 10 minutes where like, a bunch of like kind of like Twitter girls like would meet up pretty regularly in this like what we thought was like this faux empowering like, oh, we're all uniting. Um, but again, we were all 22 and or like 20 but in our early 20s. And 
we, it was like the coven for like literally like 10 minutes. Every it, group of ex theater kids or brainy girls who gets together calls themselves the coven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, it la- and it made me feel like for a second it felt good. And then it made me feel horrible because like, you know, different subgroups of them were meeting. And also we were all like hooking up with the same two guys. Oh, <laughs> see, that's that's what I think. It that's is. very like, intense. That's getting under the surface. Is it sort of are we passing the Bechdel test here? Yeah. And oftentimes we're not. Well, that was it. It was like we were impersonating what you what you were talking about, which is that sort of empowering, like coming together and recognizing like power in numbers. But really, we were just gathering to be even more petty and jealous and mean. Uh, well, people yeah. have the tendency to do both. And I don't think that's necessarily gendered because even in a micro community like comedy, there can be cliques. Yeah. And I always think that's funny. It's like whatever the micro community is, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's Indian people, if it's comedy. Those are pretty much the only communities I know personally. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, I love the way <laughs> Dane like, is just looking at so me like great. just looking at me like just nodding. You know, <laughs> it's like, yep, those are the only communities but I've ever been a part of. Does help you in comedy because you're constantly thrust into situations where you don't know anyone. Not just, I'm not talking about on stage, but you know, hanging out with comics and you have to go introduce yourself. So, being, I was, I kind of had the same group of friends my whole life. And so, now being in comedy, being like, all right, Francesca, you know, you got to push yourself, go introduce yourself, be I nice, got you. hang out, stick around, make a friend, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, blah. no one, no one who's been popular and happy their entire life can be funny. Just, it doesn't exist. I am um, in Nepal. I had a really, really, really great group of female friends. Really? Yeah, because it was. We got to go all the way to Nepal to <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I think it's partly because it was a lot, uh, people were working at the UN and like somebody else was like with UNICEF and somebody, you know, whatever. Like people were, I was making my documentary. So there was a group of maybe like six people who are all over the world now who were awesome. Like really, that's probably the closest, like in terms of like, because when I think of a what you what you say is a squad or like a group of friends, I always think of those girls in Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always See, like I was going to say they're not a it. squad. I was going to say it specifically like that's an example of a female friendship who's not a squad because they don't externalize their squad. Like I feel like it's it's like a Schrodinger's cat situation where you can only be a squad in context in a broader context. Like if uh-huh. it's just a group being friends, that's just a group. No, it, being it's friends. a branding. It's a it's an ag- I am against the rest of the yeah. world, me against the world. You just need a brand. You just need a hashtag. Hysteria, for example. Because <laughs> clearly none of us are in an actual squad. Because if we were, we'd be bragging about it right now. <laughs> and I would love nothing more to brag about like my little, you know, female clique. But I'm a serial monogamous and I date men and it sucks. Mm. But that's sort of where I'm at, to be honest with you. But um Women are really good also at having, like, we have these, like, we have stringy relationships. We have, like, private conversations, and we go and have another private conversation. They're, like, webs of relationships rather than a squad. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm really jealous of people with, like, a gang, like, group of friends. Like, I have friends who I who live in London, and it's, like, six of them, half boys, half girls, and they, they're, like, the gang. They're all in a that's group a chat. Gang. That's what I'm talking about. But I, uh, that's why I think of Sex in the City. I mean, by your definition of, like, needing to have— a hashtag a brand. and a brand. It yeah. is a brand. A brand. What are you talking it's about? They have movies. Yes, exactly. If you're walking down a sidewalk <laughs> together or, yeah. or abreast in slow motion, then you're in a squad. It seems right. squad-like. Right. I mean, take, yeah. come on. Yeah. And it was like a literally, fa- it was like a massive brand. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be a part of it or they're like, I'm a this one, mm-hmm. you know. Fair. Yeah. Um, I guess I was like in the Sex and the City universe, people don't recognize them as a squad. Like other people aren't like, I want to 
Like, there, we never have a scene where someone's like, hey, can I join you for brunch? No, we really should have, though. Yeah. I would have been, yeah. Someone on the outside would have been great. Yeah. You know? Like, That's we never really have an hilarious. outsider. <laughs> Just it was you, Francesca. Yeah. Like, I, I did theater. But make it more like The Office, more a mockumentary. So there's just always a woman in the background <laughs> staring, like, right at the camera. Right like someone, like, oh. someone who, like, works with Carrie at The Office and is like, hey, what are you doing Sunday? And or she's like, nothing. Oh, but then she sees her at brunch. And or then just after, in the window. Yeah, and She's dressed just like her. In that window, <laughs> just looking forlorn. Do you want to know my my theory of Sex in the City? This is getting totally off the rails, but whatever. Uh, my theory of Sex in the City is, you know how Kyle MacLachlan is in Twin Peaks and also he's in yes, like all these David Lynch like movies and projects and then also Sex in the City. My theory is that Sex in the City takes place entirely in the Black Lodge. Ooh. He's, tra- he's trapped in the Black Lodge, and that is like his life. And that's why his, about not being able to have a penis. Why he can't get it up, and yeah. that's why his penis doesn't work because yeah. it's yeah. all in the Black Lodge. Ooh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get back to talking about squads, though. Um, so, one thing that I've thought about a lot is that women we we get told two very disparate things about being in groups one is that we're too catty and shitty to be in in groups or to band together and work toward a common goal the other one is women are more cooperative naturally they're more cooperative Mm -hmm. where do you think the truth lies do you think that we gather in groups to be like shitty and catty toward each other or do you think that if we only banded together we could take over the world can i say going back to the the thing i said about the smaller the pie the sharper the knife i think culturally we've been so ingrained with this idea that there can only be one woman, like one successful woman at any one time, and then you have to topple her, and then you can be the next successful woman, and then you can topple her. I think that is so culturally ingrained that everyone, like me, is like I've had to fight this a lot. There's like that ingrained jealousy of like when you see a young woman succeed, you're like, oh, but that could be me. Mm-hmm. There, so I think part of that cattiness or what's perceived as cattiness comes from this that cultural yeah. thing that we've been fed. Nancy and I think Pelosi syndrome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think we're in an interesting time, like, um, in, I don't know, just like culturally and historically in terms of birthing the new, you can be in solidaristic relationships with other women and not be competitive. And also, no, you got to prove yourself and stand above all these other women because there's only a certain amount of roles. So we're kind of like in this halfway point between those two worlds. I will say, um, Yes. I mean, it's like statistically proven that if there are more uh, elected officials who are women, they like get more legislation passed. They Mm -hmm. do more things. Uh, They work together. Um, The one time I was in a squad recently that felt so right and so perfect, and I think we might need a lot more of that, was one of the mornings of the Kavanaugh hearing and um, Kavanaugh hearings. And I was about we had to gather at five in the morning and we were doing a banner drop and it was me and like. West Oakland with, I think, 15 other mostly women all dressed in black. And it was like pitch black outside. That's cool. And we were gathered together and we were like, yes, this is exactly where we should be. This is exactly what we should be doing right now. And why aren't we doing this every week? And we dropped a banner that said, believe survivors over the Bay Bridge. Um, and That's awesome. Yeah, it was dope. And it was, that's the kind of thing, like that kind of power. Um, but it takes a certain amount of there was a larger political commitment in that situation, but there were just people driving by early in the morning, like slow looking at us, you know, like their heads turning. And it was like, yes, bitch, like that's where we're, this is where we're going to be. If you know, if you keep acting like this, 
women are going to be gathered at five in the morning dressed in black, uh, ready to, you know, start some shit. I, I also think that I think that men actually the the qualities that you described are human qualities. I don't think that they're specific to women. It's just a branding issue. Because mm-hmm. if you know yeah. men intimately, if you have <clears throat> men in your life who you know very, very well, they're catty as fuck. Mm-hmm. Men are clicky, men are catty clicky. as fuck. It's they just like, don't know each other, but they hang out all the time. Yeah, but or they, they like, don't but know the first men thing are, about one Men are fucking <laughs> catty. They can be really catty, really competitive, really jealous. They're people. Like, I think that the same thing can happen with men. It's just like, it's not branded as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, women are fighting that kind of dichotomy in the workplace where, but that micro community or having that micro community and that place to discuss um, is so powerful and mm-hmm. so, so effective because it's like, A, you can build your own spaces, um, but B, sometimes like, you know, that doesn't mean that there's going to be salaries. It doesn't mean that there's going to be like real uh, reach or a real platform. And that means maybe you will have to participate in a mainstream. And then how do you manage to do that in an mm-hmm. effective way? But I think a squad like uh, Presley, Omar, Talib, and AOC is something that increases, like you said, it increases vis- visibility for themselves, but also for people who are in power where it's like, oh, this, oh, there is space for this. There's a lot of women who are people of color who are very progressive, who have who are very outspoken. And there's not just one, you know, like I I think that visibly representing yourself to the to the, I guess, people in power is really important, too. It's, It's important to represent to each other like, hey, here we are. I see you. I see you. I see you. But it's also like everybody has to look at us now. In their case, I think that they would need that collective power just because it's like they're really so different than anyone else sitting in Congress. Like Congress is like an old school. It's like like well over half, nearly 70 percent of our Congress is like over 70 mm-hmm. current like white male. It's like it's still the numbers are crazy mm-hmm. when you look at who is the demographic of our Congress. And they could have thrown. Here's the thing is that they're being told every single day to throw the other one under the bus. Right. Like, oh, yeah. You know what? Ilhan Omar, she, her, her comments were over, line, over the line or whatever. They were anti-Semitic. They totally weren't. They were you not. Know, like, right. So it's like and they're, they're constantly being told to throw each other under the bus, get ahead. You can be the standout. You can, you can be, be the, the standout. You, you can, can be the, the one who works yeah. with everyone else. And instead of that, they're doing the opposite and saying, no, we're actually going to stick together because we were elected under sort of similar auspices. And, and because they're all progressive and they all align politically, um, which I think is awesome. It sort of shows you that, again, we're in this like midway birth of like women in solidarity versus women having to like do it by themselves. Well, that's the amazing thing is that this squad then can be a lightning rod for a political movement to achieve something. And the purpose of the squad isn't looking good on Instagram and making other people jealous, Mm -hmm. which again, fun, a lot of fun. But this is a. I was jealous when I saw pictures of them all four together on Instagram. But then also they were like, it's big. And I was like, oh, Oh, thank God. (laughs) I just want to really quick about the the anti-Semitism as I will speak on behalf of all Jews, I've been granted the title. Someone last night I got the call. Huge deal. Congrats. I know. Who gave you that call? I, it's classified. Okay, <laughs> but John Stewart. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, those comments were not anti-Semitic. Uh, and I also want to say that conflating Israel with Jews is like, it makes my blood boil. And it makes me so angry. And so many anti-Semites, like legitimately people who hate Jews and people who are like fundamental Christians, think of Israel as this like weird place that like if we get all the Jews there, then the rapture will happen. 
it's 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 effed up. It's yeah, they're, really... they're they're not anti-Semitic just until the end. Yeah, yeah. then they become real anti-Semitic <laughs> yeah. because all the Jews are going to perish. But up until then, they're like, oh my god. Yeah, you're great. Got it. Yeah, it's a it's a game of like metaphysical chicken. <laughs> That's to how them. they work. Did you not like my voice? <laughs> yeah. in there? I liked everything that was happening. I was just there's so many layers to process. It's for like me personally. Yeah. It's like now we're in this place where you can you're not. It's like anti-Semitic to point out that they're like. Oh, get these these filthy Jews out of the media and go to Israel. I'm pro-Israel because I want these filthy Jews out of American media. It's like, no, just because you're pro-Israel doesn't mean you're not anti-Semitic. Well, thank you to yeah. the new official spokesperson. Thank you. For, yeah. for American it's like you're Jews. ordained for the day. What else are you going to do with your power? I know. I get one day. It's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's like how Sweden lets one citizen control his Twitter account <laughs> for the day. That's Is what that Jews true? are. Yeah. 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 Stop it. Yeah. They had to stop it. Yeah. Because it got, they had somebody weird do it. And so they were mm. like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't quite a midsummer situation, but it was somebody <laughs> who was like, Experiment over. <laughs> okay. Final question for the table. Um, um, this was one, and, and just a, and just to tag on to what Francesca was saying earlier in terms of women being more cooperative, the same thing is true for microloans, is like um, when they give microloans in different countries, uh, when they give it to the woman, the whole family gets fed, literacy goes up. Um, there's just a lot more effectiveness in terms of because the woman will make sure that the family gets the money, you know, et cetera. Um, so, and the men will spend it on like. Yogurt that comes in black packaging. <laughs> I was going to say alcohol. Say um, gambling. Alcohol and gambling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gambling and, and booze, which so, makes me a man on the inside. <laughs> really. Yeah. Okay, final question for the table before we have to take a break. What is your favorite squad, all-female squad, in pop culture or in history? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to start. Mine is the squad from The Craft, just because that movie is so fucking cool. <laughs> I love that movie. So fucking cool. Yes. Love that movie. Agreed. Um, mine is The Heathers. Oh, from that's From the a good movie squad. The Heathers. I just recently tried to watch The that. movie is Heathers. It's not, the, the movie's, the, they're The Heathers. But they're mean, right? Yeah, they're so mean. You know what? <laughs> Dana's like, they're I don't really care. Funny, I don't care. They're, they're really, really funny. funny. They're, they're horrible. They're monsters, but they're funny. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a female squad. Does it have to be female? You can pick a squad. Just any any squad. Dude, Muppet Babies, any day, <laughs> every <laughs> effing day. All right? They can go anywhere in their minds. They're on psychedelics and their children. And they get to poo their pants and someone changes their diapers. <laughs> good Great. squad. Good squad choice. Such good squad. All right, Kieran. I'd say Rugrats. Uh, I'd say, yeah, Rugrats and then maybe like the people who did the Underground Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> The people. <laughs> the people. The people. Who the people, the squad people that did... again? And the Handmaid's Tale, ladies. Oh, yeah. Does it get better, Handmaid's mm. Tale? Do they like, like, I don't want to watch it, but I want to know everything works out? Just read. The, I feel like it can't continue after the book. Like the book is, you've reached the end of the book. Wait, have I, you re, have you have you seen it? Have you been watching it? I've read the book and I and I watched the show to when it reached the end of the book. I know, but they've done a really good job in extending it. Like an excellent job. Okay. I have one more squad question. Okay. Um, I read a Tumblr post that has haunted me ever since. That was the Scooby Gang. If, doesn't it feel like there was always a sixth member? There's five of them. And doesn't it emotionally feel like there was a sixth member and it's just been wiped from all of our memories? Like it's just incomplete somehow. Yeah. You know that it's only the five of them. So some Berenstein bear yeah. type? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Uh -huh. Like, right? There's five of them. It's Daphne, Velma, 
Fred, Shaggy, two girls, two guys. No, there's, plus there's the two dog. of them. There's Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Everyone else is boring. <laughs> they're, a, they're a single monolith of a personality. Yeah, but think it's two girls, two guys, and the dog. But doesn't it feel like there should be one more? It's uh, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's the ghost. The ghost, the ghost is always the, the sixth ghost one. Is the, the, sixth the, one. the burning tongue appearing on Pentecost. It didn't. If you look, if you freeze every frame of Scooby Doo, it's always in the background. There's <laughs> yes. a dove in every shot of Scooby Doo. <laughs> okay. On that note, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, the hills will die on. Hysteria is brought to you by Majuri. So Majuri creates accessible fine jewelry for your everyday without tr- the traditional 10 times markups. If you go to the website, uh, Majuri, M-E-J-U-R-I dot com, you can see all the different styles. They're sort of like high end everyday basics that don't cost as much as, you know, they would cost at other jewelry stores. And so if you're looking for ethically sourced, high quality 14K solid gold and silver pieces, Look no further. They're low maintenance and high quality. You don't have to worry about taking your jewelry off or getting your pieces wet because it's not cheap jewelry, so you can like shower with it on and stuff. Be on the lookout each week for fresh, new, and exciting pieces, sometimes under 150 bucks. You can head to mejuri.com slash hysteria for 10% off your first order. That's mejuri.com slash hysteria for 10% off your first order. We're back. We are almost done with the show, but not quite done with the show. We have one more segment left. This is the part where we take adamant stances on things that don't really matter that much. It's the hills we'll die on. Let's get started first with our listener hill. Hey, Hysteria. The hill I'm going to die on today is, uh, well, it's continuing the sock conversation. So here's the thing. Uh, socks in bed, gross. Okay, we've established that. Let's just take it one step further and talk about socks during sex. Absolutely. <laughs> if you come at me with your feet covered in the socks you've been wearing all day, they're all sweaty, they're sticking to your feet, your toenails are... No. <laughs> take them the fuck off. Grow up. Take your socks off. Be completely naked. That is how you have sex. That is the hill I will die on. <laughs> okay, I'll bite. What's sex? <laughs> um, I, yeah, sure. I mean, but sometimes it just kind of, you don't really have time to like stop and like take your socks off. It is unsexy though. I will say like the most unsexy is a man naked, but for the socks. With high socks on. <laughs> I hate men's feet though. I, I don't think they should have feet. They're so ugly <laughs> categorically. But I feel like if they don't take them off, then they're just sort of clambering and like slipping, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, that's how I have sex, right? That I just stand there and the man climbs up the side of me. You that's guys, how it works, yeah. That's up yeah. and inside you. Yeah. Right. They can't get a You're grip. like a tree. You're like, yeah, a, yeah. You're like a strong then they, yeah. palm tree. A sex tree. Mm-hmm. I okay. am a sex tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think do take your socks off if you can. That's what I'm going to say when it comes Listen, to... Listen, they come off when you're, you know, after five minutes of trying to pull your stupid skinny jeans off. They're going to come off anyway. So, men. Yeah. So, like, you know... There's no reason to leave them on. Yeah. I don't think men should have feet. That's my counter. <laughs> <laughs> that would it would be so easy to take your jeans off if you didn't have feet. Yeah, that's yeah. true. They so, should just you have don't two have more socks. Di- you don't have feet. It's they should fine. have two more dicks. What? <laughs> Instead of feet. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You just I mean, it's, you, you, you just hit gonna... me with these. You just hit me with these this dynamite these these nuggets. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Just what, like, what are you going to replace them with? Nothing. Nubs. 
Nubs. <laughs> okay. Also hot. Okay. Uh, here's the hill I'll die on this week. Um, so this past weekend, um, we were watching, we were just kind of like laying around and Josh was like, let's watch The Breakfast Club. And we put it on and I realized as it was going, as the movie was going that I fucking hate that movie. Mm. It is not a good movie. When's the first time you saw it? Uh, I was like 16. Okay. It was after prom. I stayed over at my friend. Oh, that's a perfect time to watch that movie. Yeah, I stayed over at my friend Christina's house. And even then I remember thinking, this was like my first adult realization. I remember thinking, these people think high school is everything because they haven't lived beyond high school. Like it is such a big proportion of your life when you're 16, 17 years old, you think that it is like everything. But then the further away you move from it, the less it matters. And I remember thinking like, these people are going to feel real stupid in five years for thinking this is such a big deal. Mm -mm. The movie isn't good. Mm -mm. Judd Nelson overacts so much. He's so much older than everybody else. He just drowns everyone else in every scene. <laughs> I don't understand any character motivations. I don't understand why Molly Ringwald acts the way she does. Anthony Michael Hall. Also, like, they're all pretending Ali Sheedy isn't attractive. Isn't beautiful. Yeah, yeah. she, oh, her hair is That is the only thing I'll give you. Everything else you're saying, I'm sorry, Aaron, is pure garbage. You're <laughs> so wrong. But you see us how you want to see us, all right? <laughs> as a jock, as a cheerleader, as a prom queen. Queen, as a criminal, as a basket a nerd, case. A basket case. Is this the one where they are all in the detention together? Yeah. yeah. What's so beautiful about that movie? I mean, listen, I walked out to like, uh, don't you forget about me? And like in middle school, we we took that movie, but I was a little bit younger. I think at sixteen, maybe you're like, this is stupid, but. They're they're capturing that moment between high school and adulthood. They're capturing the moment of like they're all being sentenced to detention for some something stupid, and then they all have these preconceptions about each other, but those fade away. Like there, it's such a yeah, good like, movie. It teaches the best teaching movie. basic empathy is a good like that's a fundamentally good thing that I feel like a lot of teens don't know and don't understand. And that was like such an early example of like. Yeah, it's Judd, it's Judd Nelson is such a like fucking lecherous rape monster. Yeah, yeah. in that movie, yeah, and he, he does, and he's rewarded for it. He's like the he gets all the funny lines, and at the end he gets like the girlfriend. It's like no, no, no. He's it's of its age. It was it the eighties. I just have one question. At least and they it's don't like, say Chinaman. That's, like if you're gonna not like any one of these films. Oh, right. People are still weirdly obsessed with uh, Breakfast candles. at Tiffany's. Bre- Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany, which is so racist and uncomfortable. It's like right. unwatchable. Where yeah. is the breakfast in all these movies? <laughs> oh, yeah. They only have lunch. And like, Molly Ringwald has sushi. And actually, they're like, oh, you're having what sushi. The, the Breakfast, like the breakfast club, club was a real. So my, there's my dad no, went There's to no breakfast. Trier. No, it was That's what my... they called in real life on the North Shore where John Hughes was from. It's what they called Saturday detention was the breakfast oh. club. It's a real, it was a real thing at, at the high school. Charlemagne the God did not invent it. No. Wow. Hard to believe. <laughs> Hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dana, do you want to go next? Yes. Also a movie one. I think every single movie should end with a dance scene or bloopers. Every movie, regardless, even Oscar Oscar movies. Schindler's want, List? Schindler's List should have <laughs> Liam Neeson stumbling over lines and laughing and hugging someone to show that they're actually, all friends. That, that'd actually be kind of great. <laughs> to show that they're all friends. I think they I'm had gonna... fun making the movie. And this is a piece of entertainment for us all to enjoy. Okay. So you're really into the minions. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> like, you liked every Shrek. You want there to be endless Shrek. Wait. Every, they do bloopers at the end of minions? I think so. No, you can't. Think, the, no. Think, now my, my new hill is if it's an animated movie, you can't have bloopers because they, they had to animate those bloopers. Fake bloopers negate the blooper. 
first of all, animations, uh, animated cartoons are the only reason bloopers are still a thing, are, are still, like, like they're, we're getting real meta with them. Well, that's my hill. Like, it's all about Shrek bloopers, that. Minion bloopers, Toy Story bloopers. <laughs> but Jessica's Story. like, hey, hey, slow your walk. Yeah, <laughs> slow, your, slow your walk down. Um, uh, hate that. Artificial bloopers are a blight to the blooper industry. <laughs> what about Bollywood with bloopers? Because you want Bollywood. Everything love has to end its song, but what Bollywood bloopers. That would be great. Okay. I would love that. Okay. The, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I saw a movie over the weekend called Slut in a Good Way that ends with, it's about kid, you know, high school, I mean, a little older than high school maybe, and they're doing like a dance, dance revolution type thing that's like a Bollywood style dance, and they're just having a blast, and it just made the whole movie great. I left on a high note. Because they had fun making the movie. They enjoyed themselves. I enjoyed myself. More bloopers. Okay. All right. Okay, Kieran, what's your hill? That was really intense. Um, (laughs) Okay, yeah, my hill, if I am at the checkout counter of the grocery store, don't ask me what I am doing over the weekend. (laughs) Don't ask me that. I find it invasive. I find it rude. Why are you asking? Am I in like a surveillance situation? What the fuck do you want to know? Like, like this, this interaction mm-hmm. is going to take two minutes, three minutes. And now you want to know what I'm doing over the weekend. Like you want me to get into my life? I know which lane at Vaughn's you go to. Um, this was Trader Joe's, and I was I was furious. Oh, the Trader Joe's people are so they're they're aggressively friendly. That's I was because furious. they're being cared for well. They get, they're getting paid well, and they have insurance, and so they want to make small talk. But problem. it feels fake. It's like, so what are you doing over the weekend? And it's like, what? Like I don't. Why are you asking me that? I'm literally going to be here for four minutes. Also, number one, I don't know. Number two, I don't want to tell you. Number three, like. I'm a brown woman in this store. Like, I don't need your fucking NSA bullshit finding out what I'm number, doing over the weekend. Four, nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's the, for me, like, whenever I have a, I go to the salon and they're always like, because like hairstylists really want their work to be seen. So they're like, what do you got going on tonight? And so I'm at least like, that's related. Nothing. That's related. But that's related. You know, it's not like when I'm buying my tuna roll from Trader Joe's, what I'm doing over the weekend is irrelevant. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. That's a good hill. Francesca, do you want to bring us home? Oh, my God. I got a big hill, but it's a random one. Um, Don't do cocaine. That's my hill. Don't do coke. All right? Are you a cop? I am a cop. (laughs) Everyone who's like... Um, I'm vegan and I, yeah, I'm gluten-free I'm starting keto and you take care of your body and then you do coke on the weekends. F you. Uh, that shit is not cage-free. That is not harm-free. Uh, it's, there's many hills people have died on to get you that cocaine. If you believe in, if you're like, stop the detention of children, this is messed up. Don't do coke. Don't buy it. Don't condone it. Whatevs, man. Get a good sativa. <laughs> so yeah, you're actually talking about a Red Bull. ethical and a moral I'm, situation. Listen, That's why you're... As soon as cocaine is harm-free, I will be Penelope Cruz in blow, all right? <laughs> I will be the biggest cokehead and proud of it. But if it's locally sourced, locally grown, I know the farmer, I can see the poppy. Is it come from? No. no. I can see the... Anyway, I'll do heroin too. But <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that ish is not harm-free, um, don't participate in that. Uh, in that, it's also bad for your nose. People's noses collapse. Yeah. Oh, see, I think that would look good on me, though. But 
Have you ever you spend time in in South America? Yeah. Do they have coca leaves? Do they do the chewing on coca leaves in Argentina? Yeah, they do. Well, that's more in um more like Bolivia. Yeah. But yeah, I have chewed on coca leaves. But yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. I'll do. I mean, I ground ground them up and snorted them, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, coca leaves. Chew coca leaves. Can you imagine breaking out coca leaves at a Hollywood Hills yeah. party? <laughs> this feels like a very. I mean, but this does. This feels like a an important hill because there's a not like it doesn't feel petty you're like worried about the i'm not all yeah, that mine worried. is like just, bloopers and you're like let's let's stop right, drug trafficking <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yours is like drug trafficking like ruins yes, the world and i was like it does francesca it does also don't clip your toenails in public but and <laughs> yes. don't do cocaine so if somebody is clipping their toenails in public and not doing cocaine and someone is not clipping their toes and doing cocaine which one is more wrong Clipping your toenails in public. <laughs> Obviously, give them all the blow they want. Anything to distract them. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's a great way to end. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. Thanks to Alyssa Mastromonaco for calling in. Thanks to our guest, Francesca Fiorentini, and to Dana Schwartz and Kieran Deal for stopping by. And a special thanks to Taffy Brodesser Ackner for sitting down with me and allowing me to fangirl at her. There will be more hysteria next week. Overdone, right? Cause girls just wanna have fun, so any get your gun. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Nadina Malconian and Elijah Cohn, for production support each week. This podcast is made possible by you, the listeners. But who are you? We know that somewhere in the world you downloaded this podcast, but we know literally nothing else about you. If you have a few minutes, you can help us make this show better by telling us more about you and what you want to hear. Just go to go.crooked.com survey to take a short survey and leave your feedback about the show. That's go.crooked.com survey. As a thank you, you'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. 100 bucks for a couple minutes? Hell yeah. 